podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to episode 13 of the Dishonest Podcast. Thanks again for listening. Shout out everybody who subscribed on iTunes and followed on SoundCloud. I apologise, I'm proper sporadic with the days, but from now on, Tuesday is going to be the day you can anticipate your next dosage of Dysonomics Gists. Now, for this week's episode, is based on entitlement culture. I believe this is one of the biggest um, fundamental issues facing the Western world, especially the UK, since I'm based in the UK, in terms of how society's operated. Um, what is the definition of entitlement? The belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. So, people who believe they are due a certain way of life or certain treatment without actually earning it. That's how I like to view entitlement. And I feel like that is a plague that has consumed us in this in this country, which probably is backdated from the empire days. Where obviously, if you look at um, natural resources... The UK doesn't even produce enough food to feed itself. Obviously, the European nations went to Africa and did <laughs> and divided up resources and stuff. So I feel like now we've reached a point in society, well, this is my own personal beliefs anyway, that with human rights um, and all those type of things, we're not used to seeing countries like Bait Face go invade another country to take resources on a as at a consistent basis as we would a few decades or centuries ago. So now it's up to your own governments and their central banks and their financial and their economic policy to actually develop your economy properly, or if you're in a trading block like the EU or NAFTA, etc. So now life life is tough. Life is tough. As I said on on many pods pods plods on many pods, cost of living is going up. Um, real wages going down. Obviously, people are using this to blame others, but I just feel like, okay, cool, in the UK, we're now in a toss spot, which isn't entirely our fault as the average person. However, what is what I do believe is our fault is our entitlement. As one of my dogs, Leroy, says, just because we have iPads, well, I did the iPads bit, but just because we have iPads, phones, we can go on holidays, life is still survival of the fittest. It's still like back in the days of the caveman. The fittest survive. It's a concrete jungle out here. (laughs) That's reality. Resources are scarce, which is, as an economist, anyone who studies economics, they they are aware of that phrase. What I'm saying is there's a finite amount of resources in the world. If I asked everybody who listened to this, in fact, not everybody listened to this on this podcast, if I asked everybody in London... Would you like a free beachside um, condo mansion with a Maserati and everything and a bunch of money? I don't think anybody will say no. Even if they did, if, 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 even if that wasn't their flavour, they'll still accept it to sell it or just to have it there. Do you know what I'm saying? But there's not enough beach houses in the world to probably fit the demand of people that would actually want a beach house if they had the opportunity. You see what I'm saying? Resources are scarce. It's still survival of the fittest. We still have to work hard and work smart to actually achieve something. You have to earn it. 
You see what I'm saying? But it, it seems to me that culturally we just expect just to have things. Like provide and I think that I think that's bonkers. Maybe it's because I'm fortunate enough to have two parents who came from Nigeria. My dad was from downtown Lagos. Like when I went to last time I went to Lagos, every time I've been to Nigeria, he always shows me where he grew up and it's mad like I'm walking through just super crowded ends. I'm walking, the sheep is next to me, goat is next to me, chicken, like, just walking cats that were dogs, like, it's proper mad. You'll see kids, a thousand, not a thousand kids, like, 50 kids playing table tennis. One has a table tennis bat, one has a plank of wood. Like, I've seen where it's come from. It's not super, super duper privilege. My mum came from Ondo State. She used to walk two hours just to go to school. She started cooking for her family at age eight. You know what I'm saying? So they've come from a culture where if you don't go out and earn it, you, you ain't eating. No ER for you. So I feel like even though I've, they've now obviously emigrated to the UK, made a decent standard of living, giving me and my siblings a good platform, I think I still have the understanding of hard work and ethic because I've seen where they've come from and I've seen what they've achieved. You see what I'm saying? And I'm pretty sure quite a lot of people on this podcast could probably relate to it. Where do I think entitlement culture is prevalent. I think in literally every subcategory of life, you see it there. So if I take like human interaction slash relationships, for example, I think on both sides, men and women, like I know people love to play gender jihad. So if you're a man, you ride, for, you, you always side of men and everything is women's fault. And if you're a woman, it's likely that everything's men's fault, you ride with women. Like I don't really um, subscribe to that. I, type, I like to look at things objectively. And I think that men and women are both show both sign and both show signs of entitlement. Um, for example, with geezers, you'll see. I'm not saying all. Oh, I don't have the exact statistics because it's quite hard to get um, relationship based statistics. But you'll see guys who feel like if they've offered a girl a drink or if they're taking a girl on a date and they've spent X amount of pounds, they are entitled to a certain end product, which to me that's insane. You engage in a mutual transaction where there was no, there, there probably wasn't any explicit guarantees that X is going to happen. And if, and if the uh, if the party, the female party, decide X is going to happen, even if she said so, that's still her prerogative. You see know what I'm saying? You don't. You now do not have the right to somebody's life because she spent um, eighty pounds on gaucho. Like I think that's ludicrous. Same thing with ladies from my perspective in terms of attention and desire. Like. It was almost more like, okay, cool, now you've decided that this person is your girlfriend, fiance, whatever. The the time and attention is like almost not has to be monopolized, otherwise there's a problem. Um you must find this person as the most attractive person in humanity, otherwise there's a problem. Like <laughs> that type, obviously I'm it's hyperbole, don't come and start complaining because I don't care. But like that level of entitlement in terms of how you desire them and how much attention they um, may require and how much you give them there may be a deficit and that also comes from entitlement like we need to understand that it is a privilege to be in a like it's a to have somebody else's time is a privilege like I was working out the other day that if you're um, let's say you're an adult who's working roughly 9 to 5 Monday to Friday you'll probably wake up at 7 get ready for an hour an hour journey to work and then you, let's say you give yourself an hour and a half journey back or whatnot, 
plus the time you sleep in a day, let's say it's seven hours. So you times your working hours and commute hours by five, and then you include the sleep hours for all seven days of the week. That's roughly about 109 hours. You know how many hours there are in a week? 168. So that means in just work, sleep and commute alone, 65% of your available hours are taken. You then have 35% of your hours to balance friends, family, um, whatever partner you may have, hobbies, just relaxing, studying, um, keeping fit. Like, time is precious. So in a relationship scenario, whoever has your time, it is a privilege. It should be earned. You see what I'm saying? But obviously, you get entitlement from both sides of the gender, of the gender line and that. Um, even if you look at uh, the NHS, for example, because we physically don't pay for NHS, of course we pay via national insurance taxation, but we actually don't go there and fork out £50 because we bust our nose in football. So because of this, people take advantage of it. When I last went to A&E, I was seeing people there with twist ankles, like a standard twist ankle. One person's nose was bleeding. One person had a minor cut, but they're in A&E because they ain't paying for it. It's wasting NHS time. We ain't paying for it. In fact, do you know how much people missing appointments cost the NHS on a yearly basis? In 2015, it was estimated that missed appointments cost the NHS £700 million. £700 million just in missed appointments. If people were being charged for this, if that cost was getting recharged to the to the um, patients, what do you think will happen to the amount of, um, what's it called, um, appointments will be missed? There's no incentive to missing appointments. <laughs> You'll be making appointments or rescheduling. It will go down dramatically. Even how staff are treated. I know many members from nursing doctor um, to the doctor side that work to NHS, and the way they get treated is despicable. It's because people aren't paying for that service. People are not paying for that service. We're so into- so it's mad how people talk about NHS. Sometimes I feel like because people close to me work for NHS, sometimes I feel like, hmm, maybe we should pay for some parts of it because the way we're moving, we don't deserve it. As a society, we don't deserve it. In terms of society as itself, people almost want to have a great standard of living, like the dream standard of living without the required work ethic. It's incredible to me. Even from, let's say, something a bit more close to the home in terms of social media. Um, I can't remember who it was, but it was a it was a female blogger. Uh, I can't remember which one of the, the female bloggers I follow. Like, quite a lot of them do their thing, shout out to them. But they're talking about how like the new upper-current bloggers aren't willing to work for free, intern for free, go do things for free to get to where they need to be. They want to hit the high life straight away. And they'll talk about how they had to grind for time, but people don't want to have to grind. And I see this quite prevalent with the quote-unquote millennial generation where it's like, because of social media, you can see the actual results of hard work and dedication. So you're following all your celebrities on your Snapchats, your Instagram, your Twitter, whatever. You can see the fruits of the labour and people want those fruits of labour without putting in the groundwork. And I think that's quite... But it's just entitlement. That, that's, what, that's what it is, you see what I'm saying? Even... Like people may get onto me for this, but 
even something as simple as how people have kids. Like we're living in society in 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 a, an economy where it's very 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 costly, especially in the UK, especially if you live in London. But too many people are having children they can't afford. And yes, I know children is what um, reproduction is what spurs life. Yes, I know children are a blessing from God. Yes, I know I love kids more than anyone probably. But it's if you look at it objectively, take the emotion out of it. It is irresponsible and unfair on the child if you are having kids that you cannot afford. It's simply irresponsible. Simply irresponsible. And then when you look at some of these kids in the environments they're brought into, how do people expect them to to succeed in life or make a decent standard of living unless they have that internal drive that is not in everybody? You see what I'm saying? So that's it. This, this is a topic that I will talk about at a later date. And when you look at politics, a lot of people that I follow are probably going to vote for Labour. A lot of people think I'm going to vote for Conservatives because I get under Labour. No, I'm not. There's no way I'm voting for the, the Tories. That's just not my personal thing. Uh, but I can't. I don't think I'm going to vote for, the, for Labour either because I don't believe in Corbyn's message. Corbyn strikes me as somebody who wants to equalise outcomes, not equalise opportunities so he wants everybody to be on a semi-level playing field i disagree i don't mind if some people are in certain less advantageous positions than others as long as we try our absolute best to equalize opportunities for all because some people will have opportunities and make bad decisions and they have to live with the repercussions of those bad decisions yes we should have welfare as a safety net because um our country still makes enough money that we can, you know, help out the people in less advantaged situations. But it should be like something to prop you up back on your feet. It should not be to maintain a standard of living. A lot of people talk about welfare, this and that, the other. Show me a country where a hefty welfare state has taken people out of poverty. Show me one. You cannot equalise outcomes. That is not fair in any measure. You should promote people making good decisions, promote opportunities, invest in opportunities, workshops, invest in the education system so the kids growing up and the people who have already grown up have the tools to teach themselves or learn skills so they're going to be productive members of society. You can't equalise outcomes because some people happen to been in a better situation due to the hard work of their predecessors in terms of their maybe their granddad's hard work or their grandma's hard work or their mum's hard work or their dad's hard work or their hard work. They should now be punished. When I look at the economic, when I look at um, even stuff like, um, I see entitlement and even stuff like, ah, oh, what is it? Who, do you guys remember um, there was like a gym brand talking about being beach ready? So if you take the London Underground, you've probably seen it was like a grey and yellow type campaign with like obviously laid young ladies with six pack guys with six pack and muscles and stuff like just saying yeah be beach ready advertising for a gym. People were saying this is they ain't real. They need to show real people this is body shaming. That's just bollocks. It's, it's, I don't want to swear. It's trash. It's that mentality is so sickening and I find it pathetic. These are people. What do you mean normal people? Are, are these people androids or cyborgs? Are they sims? Are they holograms? They are real people. They just happen to work hard in their bodies. 
how are we punishing people who have decided to eat right and become active? That's insane. They're not even shaming fat people or people who are not in particular shape. They're promoting that lifestyle. It's sickening. Even the other day I saw, I think it was an um, advert about cancer, like one of the biggest causes of a certain cancer, and they had like O, the word O, B and Y, and they blanked out the other words and said, yes, it was obesity. And no people run a thread saying, that's fat shaming. Excuse me, are you sick? Have you lost every single marble? This is an issue. People are dying because of this health issue. And then there's an advert to raise awareness. And you're crying about people's feelings. What's more important? Oh, feeling bad or people actually... People are losing family members because of cancers. And because of people's insecurities... They are campaigning to remove these ads that raise awareness. It's sickening. It's sickening to me, honestly. Like, we can't blame the government for everything. Yes, they are fault for a lot of things. We can't blame them for everything. The government's job is to provide a society that gives opportunities. It was our job to look after and vet our loved ones. Can't blame the government for anything. When we look at in, when I look at entitlement in a more economic perspective, I see quite a lot of talk about wealth inequality and income inequality. Oh, the top so and so percent earn this much. Oh, drives me mad. Let me put some econo- um, some actual fact. Income is not static. So if you if you leave, let's say you left school at sixteen or eighteen or after university, uh, let's say roughly twenty one, the salary you earn in your first job is is very unlikely going to earn that salary up until the retirement age of sixty five. Income is fluid; you earn more as you go on, because once you first start working, you don't have any real skills or expertise, so nobody's really going to pay you big bucks because you have nothing to prove to them that you can do the job to a high level. You ain't got experience, you ain't picked up skills. But as you go through your career, picking up skills and expertise, you start getting promotions, you start getting more senior jobs. For example, nobody comes out at age 16 and goes straight to CEO of Barclays Bank. Nah, <laughs> it don't work like that. You know what I'm saying? For example, if you look at, um, it, it said that 50% of the bottom 25% of earners, so if you take everybody who's, Everybody who's in a working job in the UK, so that's age 16 to 65, take the bottom 25% of earners, 50% of those people, at one point in their career, they'll be in the top 10%. In the top 10%. Wealth is always going to be unequal because not everybody generates wealth. To this... Maybe the current level of wealth inequality, I think there is there is issues in terms, especially with the housing market, but that's a topic for another day. But at the end of the day, if you have not generated wealth, why should you have a slice of what somebody else has done? If we're talking about fair, if you have not contributed to what somebody has earned, why should you have a slice? That's like me knocking my next door neighbour, because I smell one, two, two, jollof rice, I think, yo, dog, like, can you fix me a, can I have a plate? No. <laughs> what? 
Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you should not demand and think you feel you're entitled to something that you have not earned. Even with national minimum wage, like, I feel national minimum wage is quite a tricky one because the data is all over the place. But um, I'm not a fan of um, some of the proposals to raise the national minimum wage. It's because if you look at what wage national minimum wage does, it sounds good. Let's say I think the national minimum wage is £7.50 or something. Yeah, let's raise it to £10. You're raising it by like a third or something. So you're thinking, yeah, everybody who was once earning £7.50 now earns £10, which is great. However, you have to look at things holistically. So let's say it's Starbucks, yeah, and you're raised and they have 1,000 members of staff on national minimum wage of £7.50. Now you've raised that to £10, right? So the, so the cost, so uh, in terms of wages, the cost of Starbucks wages has now gone up a third. So the cost of the business has gone up. What is a business going to do when their costs go up? They're not going to let it eat into their profit margin because that's not why you do business. You don't do business to accept making less money. You're trying to maximise your profit. What they will do is try to cut cost again. And that means they'll instead of hiring a 1,000 people at £10 per hour, they may drop it to 800 people at £10 an hour. What does that mean? That's 200 people now without a job. And this affects the lowest skilled and the lower experienced earners because they tend to be at the bottom of the pay scale. As I said, your pay usually reflects your skill level. I said that on a few pods before. So, and it's ironic because this actually was introduced in America by the unions to spite black people, ironically enough. It's because after slavery and stuff, black people were willing to accept lower wages um, than the white people in America to work. So you get a lot of, so you get, so a load of, I think the, the unemployment rate between black teenagers, in fact, white teenagers had a higher unemployment rate than black teenagers at that period of time. I can't remember the exact um, time frame. Forgive me, I'll, I'll, I'll write it on my Twitter. Anyway, so trade unions and etc. campaign and campaign to push there to be a national, um, a minimum amount that you have to pay people. Obviously, if you're going to have to pay people this minimum amount, you'd rather pay it to somebody who's obviously more skilled. So that's how it actually started to damage the, the quote-unquote less advantageous black people in America. And I'm not saying it'll damage black people here, but I'm saying people of the lowest skill level, it will damage them. So I'm not much of a big fan of that. But it's just like people just believing, yeah, you should... And it's just... I don't even like national minimum wage in general because you're enforcing an arbitrary amount that a business should charge to pay to pay its staff. I feel if you leave it to the free market, businesses are much better at making efficient and optimal decisions than the state. Now, if I look at recent policy like of course don't don't worry i want to have my next two podcasts are going to be on the general election so i'll do analysis of corbyn's and theresa may why you should vote for them why you shouldn't who do they fit there etc but um, i'm sure many of us have seen uh, labor's idea of the one wanting to 
increase the taxation on quote unquote high earners. I think people earning over seventy or eighty k was the um, the the figure they plucked out of thin air. It just mind boggles me from an economic standpoint. Um, there's a thing called the Lafer curve. Like I won't even want to talk about the Lafer curve, but um, it's actually quite it's quite simple. Basically, uh, how can I describe the curve? So on the y-axis, you've got revenues of taxation, so how much money the government collects from us in tax. And then on the x-axis, you've got um, the percentage of tax. So the graph is kind of like an upside-down U. So it kind of goes up and then down. Because obviously, the more you tax, the more the government charges in taxation, obviously, the more money you receive. But it goes up until a certain point. Because eventually, let's say the tax on income and the tax on VAT and the tax on corporate uh, on corporate companies is a hundred percent. Whatever you make, we take. Who's gonna work? Who's gonna who's gonna start businesses? Nobody. As I say, incentives drives behavior. So is they'll get to the point on the Lafer curve where you've received as much. That's the most tax you can receive. But if you go beyond that point in taxation, this is what happens. One, you're taxing firms to the point where it's cutting into their the money that they make. So if you're now making, so the more tax you pay, the less money the firm takes home. The less money you take home, the less money you can reinvest in the business in terms of like buying new machinery, upgrading your products, maybe expanding and being able to hire more members of staff. Or what a lot of businesses are doing in this globalized world, just move your move your staff where it's cheaper. You've got car companies moving to Estonia, uh, finance companies moving to Poland. Companies are not stupid. They're smart. They will move their capital to where it will be taxed less. That's what you see by Google. That's what you see by Starbucks, what you see by Amazon, etc. Why, like, if you look at the data, the people in the higher earning brackets actually contribute the most tax. But, like, there seems to be this war on the rich for whatever reason. Just due to entitlement, they have more money, they can afford it. That's nonsense. Because somebody has worked hard, I'm not saying you haven't worked hard, but everybody's worked hard. We're all working hard. Well, some of us. And they happen to have done better. Why should they... Because they have done better, why should they pay a bigger burden? That's entitlement. What incentive are you providing everybody else? It doesn't make sense to me. Especially if you want to use it to pop up investment in the country. It's not going to work anyway because of money. You're going to take on less money. In fact, a more recent example of this is George, even George W. Jazz Bush. He introduced tax cuts in his government. And they actually saw an increase in tax revenue to the point where even Obama continued those tax cuts in his first reign. Because obviously, once you reduce the taxation on um, on businesses, they have more money left over to reinvest, which can stimulate growth. But yeah, man, like I, I don't want the listeners of this podcast to feel like the people that earn money are the enemy. They're not the enemy. Because, and I know for full well, you people want to be like them. Ain't nobody trying to be on 
25, 26, 30, 45, 60k an annum when it could be on 80, 90, 100. Who would turn that down? I don't think anybody would. I don't think anybody would. The people that you should really be looking at are the people that have made policies in this globalised economy and globalised world that have businesses taking jobs wherever it's cheap, have our costs skying through the roof, our wages going down. That's the real issue. The people that are earning 80 bags, they face the same problems as you. Maybe to a less extent. But taxing them more, it's not gonna it's not gonna save the NHSB. I'll tell you it's for free. There's no data, there's no economic theory or common sense that leads to this point. Don't let any emotive language swindle you. Why do your bit to help out? Do your bit. They're doing more than most of us. They've paid more than us. It's insane. But yeah, this was a quick podcast on entitlement culture. There will be another podcast next Tuesday. That will be on Theresa May and another one the week after on um, Jeremy Corbyn. So I want to give you guys as much information going into the vote on June the 8th. So I'm going to try to break it down into if you're an, if you're a type of voter that votes because of your family or personal interests, who may benefit you more if you're a type of voter that votes on on social causes or economics or whatever. I want to give you guys some full information. And at the end of the month, I'm hoping to do like a, a debate with people who side with various sides on the political spectrum. I don't really have a side. I don't ride for any of these pagans. Um, but I look to hit you guys up with that at the end of the month. So yeah, thank you for listening this week. Um, shout out to my boys that hit me off the intro and outro tracks. Shout out Blacks. For the intro, Young Fire and Fashy featuring Young's Perion. I'll put the link to the SoundCloud. Shout out Asen for patting up. I'll put the link to the Spotify as well as the... What's this thing you call? Apple Music. But yeah, thanks for listening and God bless. Let me Burning bridges, niggas acting up. She on my body like I'm tied up. I ain't seen nobody bad as hard. I ain't seen nobody bad as hard. I'ma get this money, I'ma grab it up. I've been stacking, I've been stacking, just wait till I'm tired up. Sports Social Podcast Network.